I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And this is an, a very informal special episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, in which, largely unedited, we're going to spoil the hell out of Dark Phoenix. That is right. So if you care about spoilers and you're planning to see the movie Dark Phoenix, you should not listen to, like, any of this, any of it at all. Go see the movie if you're going to, and then listen to it. Or just skip it. You know, we won't be offended. We should also note that both of us um, have been all over the internet this week talking about this on podcasts and in articles and on video, and we'll link to all of those somewhere, someday, probably. Indeed I also officially, sorry, some of this is also probably going to rehash some of the review that I wrote of the movie for Polygon, which I'll also link to. Yes, so, uh, with all of that said, this is your last warning. If you care about spoilers, stop listening. But if you don't care about spoilers, then let's yell about Dark Phoenix, Jay. I, I don't know if I can actually bring myself to yell. I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So, okay, uh, listeners, you know, if you've listened to our show, that I really like liking things. I mean, Jay, I know you do too, but I, like, really do. This movie was hard for me, and I do want to find good things to talk about, but overall, I just went out of that movie feeling kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's... Definitely, definitely the franchise ending with a fizzle. And the thing about it is there's enough that could have been different and there's enough that clearly could have been different and there's enough that it, it gets right in, or adapts in really interesting ways that the fact that, that it, it not even fails to live up to that promise but just sort of dissolves into protoplasmic nothing is just that much more of a letdown. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that's especially the case because I think you mentioned the same thing when we were talking earlier. But for me, like the first, I don't know, maybe 15-ish minutes of the movie are incredibly promising. Like that was the Dark Phoenix I wanted to see. I want to see the characters as a team where, you know, you can tell that they've been working together for a long time since X-Men Apocalypse. I want to see them as heroes. I want to see high stakes. I want to see actual colors in costumes. Like even Scott and Jean's dynamics seemed like it was going to be a really cool one. And then it just changed. So let's maybe start by talking about the stuff that we liked from the movie. Okay, okay, that sounds good. Um, well, I guess to, to go right into what we what I was just mentioning, um, I was surprised to find that the Scott and Gene dynamic before the whole movie took a sharp left turn into bleh uh, felt pretty right. Like, I actually kind of dug those actors' takes on it. This was actually my favorite version of the Scott and Jean dynamic from the entire cinematic universe. Like, I feel like it it rings really true to both what I like about them in the comics and to the characters as they've been established or as they were established in Apocalypse. This is like I I had I I had mixed feelings about Ty Sheridan and Cyclops initially. I liked the version of the character in Apocalypse, but it wasn't my favorite. This is, this is so good. Like, the, he's evolved in really good, really interesting ways. And he and Jean have this, not even so much chemistry as just sort of quiet depth to their relationship and to its existence that you don't really see a lot on screen and that works really, really well in context of both this couple and this story. Yeah, I mean, so the timeline of the new X-Men movies doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, First Class was in the 60s, this is in the 90s, and the characters have aged very little from one movie to another. But I will say, like, that lived-in quality you were just talking about, Jay, that makes sense. I mean, if these characters have been together for years at this point, like, I feel like that was on the screen in just this sort of quiet, understated, but believable way. The other thing I thought they really nailed about Cyclops is... Just the the extent to which he's in that for the long haul, like having having they 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 move a lot of a lot of moments from the Dark Phoenix saga that are memorable into different contexts, and a lot of those work really well. And one of them is the the Gene telepathically knocking Scott out and changing the context from him saying no, you, you shouldn't go risk your life on the space shuttle to saying no i won't let you leave to protect me you know because at that point she's she's afraid of losing losing her power and then just sort of going and quietly doing what Char- like it's 
it, it, it's a take on the character that reads really realistically in context of the stuff that happened and like the losses and death in Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, I, I very much agree with that. And I mean, you know, going with characters, I feel like we should talk about uh, Sophie Turner as as Jean. Oh, shit, she is amazing. I, I will say for everything that I dislike about this movie and everything that I say critically about it, it's worth seeing and it's worth paying whatever, you know, cinematic price. Like Sophie, Sophie Turner's performance will be more than worth what you spend on it. She is phenomenal. She's so good. Yeah, I think all the things that don't work about her as Jean are writing and directing decisions, not acting decisions at all. Like, you know, I mean, obviously this movie is going to be compared to X-Men The Last Stand because they are adapting the same story, albeit in somewhat different ways. And I feel like uh, Famke Jansen in um, The Last Stand, her version of this creature who was fire and life incarnate was just to um, have veins on her face and then have a look on her face like somebody farted. Okay, that was 100% on the writing and directing. In last okay, day. fair, and yeah. Vincent's I'm not gonna... Gene was, was really solid. Sophie Turner's is better, but, I mean, we're comparing two very, very good performances. Yeah, totally. But, like, I, I feel like, and maybe this was just the writing and directing being better than The Last Stand, which is not hard. I will say I like this movie more than The Last Stand. Um, yeah, oh, for a lot of reasons, and I'm going to go into some of those in a sec while we're talking about what we like. Totally, yeah. But I feel like Sophie Turner was able to kidnap that, or kidnap, this is the sort of thing where if this were an edited episode, you wouldn't hear that part, to capture, which is like kidnapping, um, <laughs> that raw just passion and and uh, emotion that's just like bubbling past all of her defenses, you know? Something I really like about Sophie Turner's gene in Apocalypse is that she's very much sort of the uncanny child. She's... No pun intended, or no reference pun intended, I guess. No, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the the sort of the, the, the trope and the archetype of, of, you know, the kid who's a little bit too adult and who's a little bit disconnected and who's a little bit eerie. And I think a lot of the question that Dark Phoenix in, its be- in the better parts of its adaptation addresses is what happens when that child grows up. Because Mm -hmm. there is no smooth transition from that experience to any kind of model of functional adulthood. And I think, I think, and again, I think this is, this is 99% Turner's performance selling this, like Mm -hmm. the liminal anguish of, of trying to establish some kind of identity when you've grown up largely depending on the adults around you to keep you safe from what you see as yourself Mm -hmm. is is i mean it's it's wrenching and it's so well conveyed here that's that's something else i really like about this i think that early in the movie a lot of the ways that the phoenix stuff is reframed and a lot of the difference between dark phoenix and the last stand is that gene is much more the center of it in the last stand she's kind of a prop like mm-hmm. she's, she gets passed around to be either a catalyst in male characters' angst or like something they can just sort of aim and shoot. And she doesn't really do anything. She doesn't really express anything. She doesn't really make any relevant decisions in The Last Stand. She doesn't really make any decisions in The Last Stand. And she does, at least again in the first half of the movie here, she doesn't choose to you know, save the shuttle while everyone's telling her not to, but she does choose to divert the massive flare towards herself, or at least she appears to. They kind of get rid of that later. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's something I think that's critical, is that Jean going Phoenix, or in this case, Dark Phoenix, since she just goes straight to Dark Phoenix in this movie, which, yeah, I want to talk about that later, um, but that has to be her choice. Like, otherwise, the movie is not about her. The story is not about her. And I would argue that the story is not enough about her in Dark Phoenix. But yeah, it does a much better job than The Last Stand did, and Hughes a little bit closer to the comic, which I think is admirable. There are a, a couple other adapted comics moments that I want to talk about. Um, again, on the good side, I mentioned her knocking out Scott. I mentioned the, the mm-hmm. thing in the space shuttle when she diverts the, the flare. The third really, really big direct reference to the comic is when she goes back home. Yeah, yeah, although that's got such a different scene. I mean, in the comic, it's like, hey, it's her loving parents who have been supporting her her whole life. And with this, it's her dad who gave her up for adoption to Xavier and then made no effort to let her know that he wasn't dead. Well, and Xavier made her believe he was dead. 
Right. One of the things this movie makes really clear is that Xavier has been very gently messing with Jean's mind from the start and doing it in ways that he's justified as for her own good. But what the ways preemptively that the movie casts Xavier in the mastermind role are great. Oh man, I, I don't know. I think they're really, really cool. And I think they do a really good job of doing it without making him a villain. Like he's really clearly in love with this ideal and hubristic to the point that he can't see the things he's doing that are, are, are harming other people. And playing with the consequences of that with the person who's been his primary victim in this as the focus worked really well. It's when the sh- focus shifts back to him that it starts to really degrade the film. Yeah, I'm not sure if I agree with you there, honestly. Like, for me, I mean, okay, so this movie is a direct sequel to X-Men Apocalypse more than it's a sequel to anything else. Mm-hmm. And part of the point of X-Men Apocalypse, I thought, was Xavier basically learning to trust women. He had started to do that in Days of Future Past, and, you know, that leads to future gene at the end of that movie in part being more okay and not having gone dark phoenix and then in x-men apocalypse you know he's held gene's powers back but then he learns to trust her and she lets the phoenix out and they're able to defeat apocalypse and for me that was just such like a a compelling positive moment and it feels like this movie just walks it all back by saying okay yeah so you know how he let her powers out yeah but he didn't tell her he'd been manipulating her his whole life it's like it's almost a deadly genesis moment to me where they take the character who i think xavier should be flawed and gray absolutely and i think they just go too far over the line yeah i was kind of thinking about that because one of the pervasive things this movie does is reassign um cyclops backstory and moments to other characters and hmm. that's one of the places that that i noticed that but it's the thing is so Xavier repressing Jean's powers is a retcon, and I think that's worth noting. It's a retcon that was introduced in 1981 in Bizarre Adventures after the Dark Phoenix saga. And it's it's a retcon that I think was necessary to, to make a lot of the, the Silver Age nonsense make sense in terms of Jean as a more interesting developed and adult character. But... Yeah, I'm not sure why I think that's relevant, but it feels really relevant in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Dark Phoenix, see, I I disagree with you that those things read like they're at odds. I think that Dark Phoenix does have Xavier backslide significantly in ways that are contradictory, but for me, that contradiction stuck out more in terms of mystique and in terms of days of future past. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that as well, because I think Mystique is is the certainly the female character who is most appear to Xavier, uh, rather than just like a... a a child or a tool or a pawn or whatever in, in this new X-Men series, new ish. I feel like she's also kind of a good pivot point to talk about the things that didn't work in this movie. Before we get there, I do want to talk about one more thing that did work, which is also based on a specific character's portrayal. There is a moment where Xavier, you know, dark Phoenix has gone and is going to, blow some shit up and kill a bunch of people. And Xavier's like, all right, Cyclops and I are going to go take this out. Beast and Storm, you stay here. And Storm's like, wait, what? And Scott's like, yeah, we need Storm. And I don't remember the line. I wish I did. I was not taking notes. Um, But Storm basically just shuts Xavier down with a single sentence. And in that single sentence, you're like, oh, oh, Alexandra Ship, this is why you are a good actress for Storm. I wish you had more than four lines. Yeah, man. I She was so wasted in this movie and she's great. And she's like, she, she gets so much into the tiny moment she gets and there are so few of them there's there's a moment of like when when they're fighting the aliens in the horrible train fight when she and magneto just sort of have a moment of 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 x x horsemen uh this bullshit again Uh eye contact that's 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 lovely um oh magneto so i don't like the way magneto's used in the film but i do really deeply deeply appreciate how profoundly extra he is Yes, that's one thing I'll certainly say is that Kinberg does a great job of doing kick-ass both action scenes and emotional scenes, and Magneto is like all of that. I I also appreciate that this movie conclusively establishes within the cinematic continuity that the only thing more extra than Magneto is a cosmic force. That sounds about right, yeah. I mean, even Apocalypse. Their fight is literally about that. It's a (laughs) drama-off. True. It's great. It's amazing. Yeah, but okay, so stuff that doesn't work. So we've established, I guess if people haven't seen the movie and don't care about spoilers, so, you know, Jean goes Dark Phoenix at the beginning, she gets exposed to a cosmic force, and does a whole lot of bad shit as the X-Men track her down. She does not do a whole lot of bad shit. 
Well, she does That's, some really bad shit. She kills Mystique. She kills okay. probably a lot of people with collateral damage. Let me point out. Let me let me quickly point out that Magneto, who is 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 the first person who calls for her head, sent spent all of Days of Future Past trying to murder Mystique, like deliberately, and then wiped out most of a populated city in Apocalypse, and they just like gave him a kibbutz, and Jean. Yeah, the the thing that the the place where this movie falls down hardest is selling the scale of any of the Phoenix stuff. Like in yeah. the comics, and and that's true. That's true of of Last Stand too. And I think it's a problem that's to some extent going to be endemic to two hour adaptations of the Dark Phoenix saga because in comics and in the animated series, which arguably is the only successful adaptation that the story's ever gotten. The scale gets established because of the Phoenix Saga. Like, we know that this is something that can repair reality, a universe. Like, the Phoenix is that powerful. It can teleport the X-Men across the the galaxy, etc. So when Jean loses control, when she's got the Phoenix Force, the stakes are already very high. And in this franchise, like, they've spent the last two movies ratcheting up the stakes to such a ridiculous, unrealistic point that here it's like, what... It's it's not, you know, destruction of a planet. It's not even destruction of a small town. It's one instance of involuntary manslaughter, and she knocks down some trees. Well, the movie certainly tries to sell that. So one one plot point in the movie is that the Dabari, the alien race that Dark Phoenix killed in the comic that were on panel for one panel, uh, their survivors come back and they're trying to, like, gain control of the Phoenix Force while shapeshifted into humans. And so it certainly is mentioned that the Phoenix Force, before it merged with Jean, had destroyed their civilization and could rebuild it. But, like, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't really come across. It's just like, hey, this is a thing. Let us tell you this plot point. Also, that was the Phoenix Force on its own. Also, did you believe them? Because I know we were supposed to believe them, but we're talking about characters who, A, spend the entire movie, or the character who says this, spends the entire movie lying to Jean and gaslighting her. And also, all we know about their goal on Earth is they want to control the Phoenix and use it to take over Earth. Right. Well, I mean, that's, I think, one of the big failings of this adaptation. So, in the comic, and, I mean... How can you not compare it to the comic? It's clearly adapting the story. In the comic, the big conflict is is one where nobody's exactly wrong. Like, you get that the X-Men want to protect their friend and they believe that she can be saved. You get that the Shi'ar Empire is like, no, this thing is too destructive. It's done too much bad stuff. And you're like, okay, I... I, I get it. I'm sympathetic. This is why this is a big tragedy because it's going to be bad for somebody no matter what happens. And in this, it's like, oh no, here are this here's this alien race, and yes, they've been through some bad shit, but they're basically fundamentally evil, completely unsympathetic, and entirely boring. So they're just straight up bad guys. Let's just delight in them being murdered. Every single part of the movie that involved the aliens felt like it was pulled directly from a really diff- diffuse like work almost worse than any that were actually in the series X-Files mythos episode. Down to the the everyone has matching black suits. Oh, and they all hang out randomly in a mansion in Manhattan because I guess that they're standing they're standing in for the Shi'ar, they're standing in for the Hellfire Club. They're they're standing in for any kind of large cosmic plot. They're not doing a very good job of it. Speaking of cosmic plots, I'm going to talk about the reshoot, the ending. Yeah, I'm curious about that, because in the actual movie, we get this fight on a moving train between all the mutant characters and all the alien characters, and then Jean basically blows herself and the big bad up to so the big bad can't get the power. And yeah, apparently it was originally completely different, and they reshot it so it wouldn't be too similar to Captain Marvel, right? So I think it was specifically the 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 my feelings are my power thing but i would have forgiven this movie so much if instead of sacrificing herself phoenix had flown off into space at the end that would have been rad as hell well i mean you do see the phoenix force flying in the background in the sky at the end so it's implied that the phoenix is still around mm-hmm. or gene is still around or something mm-hmm. that the phoenix is not the genus and the other thing that gets me about that is that they made this big deal about reshooting it so it wouldn't be too much like another superhero movie. But the actual end, the coda, is exactly the coda to The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, you know what? I hadn't actually it's, thought yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, with Xavier and Magneto as Batman and Catwoman. It's exactly the same goddamn scene. Oh, like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Where they're obviously sleeping together. So if Xavier and Magneto are Batman and Catwoman, which is which? Oh, actually, why am I even asking that? Obviously, Xavier's Batman and Magneto's Catwoman. 
Yeah, because Magneto's cool. Well, there's that as well. And also, I can just really easily picture Michael Fassbender in that costume, which, I don't know, maybe that says more about me. <laughs> no, he'd, he'd wear it well. I was going to say, I can really picture Michael Keaton as Xavier. Yeah, you know, he would be a good Xavier. He would. I mean, McAvoy was a good Xavier just in some movies that, I, that's that's the thing. Like, I like most of the new McAvoy Fassbender era X-Men movie. I thought Days of Future Past was phenomenal. And so it's just so sad that this is, you know, the the wrap up of of the story. But anyway, we're we're diverging in our our unplanned, unedited well, way. We were Xavier keeps on, like the focus keeps on slipping back to him. There is no point, and it, it, Apocalypse felt like the point where the the movies are sort of where the story was supposed to kind of shift the younger characters, and it never does. Right, and it starts to here. And then it just sort of slips back to Xavier and him having really intensive feelings. And some of that's good. Some, like the the scene w- that's just Nicholas Holt yelling at him for five minutes was was fantastic. Very I loved it. Like, well, and also I feel like by this point, by the timeline of this movie, the, if there's anyone who has a right to just full off go off on Charles Xavier. It's it's beast because he's spent 30 years putting up with this man's bullshit. Right. And while admittedly they do look very good for their age, that is no fair trade-off for dealing with, you know, Xavier as portrayed in these films. I, like, oh like this is Beast is, I, I'm going to say, based on Days of Future Past, that Beast is definitely the only reason that Charles Xavier has not drowned in a pool of his own vomit by this point. And, like, and he's given up so much to be that person. And he has compromised so much to just sort of follow Xavier. And just having him, having him finally really tell him off is lovely. And then it goes in weird directions because the Magneto bullshit and the let's all kill Jean because she killed Mystique. But again, Magneto spent an entire movie trying to and then gave Jean a lecture on why murder is bad in this one as revenge when people you love are killed. Like, I'm looking through my notes from the screening and one of them is just an all lowercase, all murder daddy no. (laughs) Right. Anyway, I want to bring it back to um, something we were just talking about. Uh, which is the focus refocusing on Xavier. Um, Because, yeah, for me, so much of the Dark Phoenix saga is uh, is the team as a team. It's that dynamic. It's them having the Phoenix saga to all just clearly work together so effectively as a team. You get a little bit of that at the very beginning, um, but then it goes away. And I feel like the emotional heft of the Dark Phoenix saga of the sacrifice, if it's mostly just about Xavier's pain and Jean's own anguish, you're missing out on so much of what makes the Dark Phoenix saga the Dark Phoenix saga. You're mix- you're missing out on so much of what adds that poignancy in. Because in the Dark Phoenix saga, you know, you're realizing, God, how this hurts for so many characters. This hurts for all these characters who are Jean's, you know, lover and friends and effectively siblings and literally family. And with this, it's just like Xavier going, oh, man, I really screwed up and I caused this bad thing. And then Scott is sad, like off to the side and nobody really notices. The only two characters who are shown as having any kind of connection to Jean that's real are Cyclops and Xavier. Mystique is supposed to, but Jennifer Lawrence is so completely phoning in that performance by now that it just sort of reads as reading off a script. Like I, I none of that connection what really comes through or was really sold. Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame because, yeah, like you were saying, Jay, it seems at the beginning like this is going to shift to being about the new cast, and the new cast were by far my favorite part of X-Men Apocalypse. Like, that movie's a goddamn mess, but I loved the kids, and so I was so excited they were going to get their own movie, and then they don't really. Like, they're in it, but they barely do anything. Storm and Nightcrawler and Quicksilver are barely characters at all. Yeah, I... And, and, and it's the fact that they managed to, after after the lesson of Days of Future Past, that they managed to make the second half of this movie propelled by Xavier and Magneto having paternalistic feelings about Mystique. 
just yeah well and that's the thing like i get i get that this is supposed to be a wrap-up for the whole series because obviously it's going to be the last movie for both the series that started with the original x-men movie and the series that started with first class this is the wrap-up for both and so i get that they wanted to have that closure of having the xavier magneto dynamic be what it was centered around but like you can't have your cake and eat it too you can't you know move the story forward and keep coming back to the same goddamn plot point you've had for what like seven movies now arguably more if you count the spinoffs yeah i eh, i'm just gonna be grumbly about that i think a lot of that and a lot of the flaws here are on simon kinberg because he's he's directing and writing and producing at this point which first of all means that yeah officially anything that's wrong with the movie is his fault second the 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 most standout bad performance is his fault because jennifer lawrence only came back like the condition for her coming back was him directing. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And finally, like, I feel like he's just too close to the story at this point because this is a movie put together, like, the imbalances in this movie are all about loss of perspective and they're all about loss of scale. Like, they're just, they're, they're, it's, it's a mess because it's being put together by someone who at this point is looking at it and seeing what he knows it's supposed to be rather than what's there. Well, and from what I understand, it was also going through daily rewrites as well. So, I mean, and I think that really comes through. Like, you have that moment at the very end that you referenced earlier, Jay, where a bad guy tree person lady is like, oh, your problem is that you're too emotional. And Gene's like, no, my emotion is my strength. And then they blow up. And it's like, wait, what? That that wasn't referenced at all. That wasn't the theme of this movie as the movie has been put forth. I mean, maybe that's what the writers had in their head, but it just comes out of nowhere. And I think that would be a perfectly valid point for the movie to have if it built it up in any way, shape, or form before a single pair of lines at the end. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking through my notes trying to think of what else to touch on. Um Oh man, there's there, there's so much. I have so many things to yell I, about. At some about point this in this notebook, I just wrote, "I feel bad for helicopters." <laughs> Those poor helicopters. Helicopters go through so much abuse in this movie. In every action movie, like they are, they you just can't win there. Oh man, I I was gonna get a degree in helicopter pilot, but no, I don't think I will. I, I, listeners, that, I, that wrote, is I also wrote, "Fuck the Dabari." Yeah, the Jabari, they're just um, awful. They're just awful in every way. They're not even remotely sympathetic, and they're boring as shit. Why did this lead to the Mutant Registration Act when X-Men Apocalypse didn't? No, seriously. Like, Gene <laughs> kills two cops, and all of a sudden they're putting mutants in internment caps all over the country. It's like, have you guys been paying attention to anything that has happened before this? Like, no. I think I'm coming, I'm coming around to, to your point, Jay, of like, you know, the Dark Phoenix doesn't actually do that many bad things. Like, yeah, you're right. Everyone overreacts like mad to this lady. I mean, I feel super bad for Jean and the X-Men and it sucks that Raven dies. But like, come on, people. Yeah, this is like, this is a little light manslaughter. This is not genocide. This isn't even mass murder. Uh, These are strange statements for us to make. So please uh, do not quote us out of context. We would look troubling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, I get that they didn't want to do the whole space opera thing of the Dark Phoenix saga. Like, that's, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I I get it. It would be weird for the series as portrayed. But like, you can't bring aliens in and then have space aliens with a spaceship whose planet was destroyed and want to build a new one. How are they the most boring part of the movie? Okay, so... I got through the Dabari part by deciding that one of them, oh, none of them have names except for um for Jessica Chastain, whose She's, name is Vuck, I guess. Or, man, Vuck that. <laughs> um, but I, I decided that the one with the nice suit who you see a little bit more often is Eric the Red. Oh, that makes it better. So you mean right, marginally, he... not by a lot, but marginally. Um, going through the notes, oh, I found something that I do actually like about Xavier, and it's early on in the the, the whole thing, and it's it's a line he has which where. She, where he's talking to Mystique about about Jean after after um, when when she goes when I think Jean's at her dad's house, but it's after she's left and it's before she's done anything really big. And he's saying she's all desire, all rage, all pain. Something's happening to her, Raven. She's changing. And I love that he's basically describing a puberty and b Jean having reasonable emotional responses to the things he's done. Like, the fact that he's reading that as, oh my god, she's out of control, 
feels like a kind of brilliant lampshading of the the women am I right feel of um the last stand yeah yeah and while like, I do because Xavier is obviously wrong right and I while I do think they make Xavier too terrible I, I agree that it fits it actually reminds me a lot oh, I don't <laughs> well, it reminds me a lot of the the last um, episode of the show we recorded as, as we're recording this, where every time anybody, any woman disagrees with Havoc, he immediately assumes they're mind controlled. Right, right. Yeah, this is this is some um, specifically actually some Hank Pym level bullshit. God damn it, Hank. Why can't you only be the way you were in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the cartoon? Because Hank Pym is awful like everywhere else. He's kind of awful in that, but he's interestingly and sympathetically awful. No, you know about that, right? With 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 Jen Jen's dad. Uh, I don't know. So Jen's dad dies, and she tries to tell Hank, and he won't believe her until his aunts confirm it. And you mean A N T S, of course. I mean A N T S. Yeah. God damn it, Hank. Yeah, he's the fucking worst. He's so terrible. Um, let's see. Going back, speaking of 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 sort of off cuff bad things. I keep forgetting that Dazzler's in this, and I feel like that says a lot about what's wrong with Dazzler's appearance in this. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice little touch, because of course she was in the original Dark Phoenix Saga, but she's no, just like- it's not a nice touch. It's a pointless touch. She's singing disco in the woods in a white jumpsuit for no apparent reason. Uh, maybe the dry cleaners sponsored this movie. I don't know. Really no. auto-tuned disco. Why is she? Why is Dazzler super auto-tuned in the early 90s? I, I just thought she was lip-syncing to like a stereo somebody had on, which actually kind of would make sense, you know, for a why character with those powers. Why was anything that auto-tuned in the early 90s? Auto-tune didn't exist yet. I don't know. Maybe maybe Bolivar Trask invented that uh, back in Days oh, of Future Oh, God. Wow, that's that's what differentiates this timeline, really. Yeah, basically. But no, hear me out here, because here's why I liked Dazzler being in this movie, even if I agree the ex- agree that the execution was boring. Okay, but I'm calling this Earth Auto-Tune from now on. That's reasonable. Um, So, one of the things I like about X-Men movies is the cameos. I like that we have this incredibly rich superhero universe to pull characters from. And I like it when they do that. Like, even if it's not a big part of the plot, it makes the world feel more interesting. So, like, for instance, when there are a couple scenes set to the mansion with all the kids there and all the kids just basically look like normal little kids, that's a missed opportunity. That's saying, hey, this is a world where people can be genetically so interesting and diverse, and then you don't show it. So I like it when they do, when they show that interesting diversity, both in terms of mutation, but also in terms of, like, all these weird superhero and supervillain characters. It's fun. In X-Men The Last Stand, when Madrox shows up, like, twice and is super goofy and cool, that's fun. And this movie needed more fun. But those cameos all made sense in context, and this one, like, this one feels shoehorned in in such weird ways that its forgettability, yeah, it's, it's, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So how you fix that is you have the other characters, the other kids being in interesting outfits and looking interesting and using their powers also, and then Dazzler doesn't feel so out of place. Yeah, yeah, and and you maybe don't do it in the woods. I mean, fair. <laughs> At least they had, like, that, that gross purple drink stuff that was at underage drinking parties all the time in the 90s. Allegedly, you say, as if you ever went to any? Yeah, I knew people that did. I was I was cool adjacent. <laughs> Come on. That's uh, the thing, like, because this was set in the 90s, right? It, it felt just so... I don't know. I feel like they could have leaned into the 90s thing. I get that they were going for this very somber tone and having a bunch of people in, like, fucking hyper-color shirts or something would have messed with that, but... I feel like it really helped the previous three X-Men movies that they were in a specific era. That that was just a nice little interesting bit, and this one just wasn't. They could have leaned into anything. Part of the problem with this movie, part of why it doesn't lean into the 90s, is that there's no grounding in place and time in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, and it's, it's the movie equivalent of comics of comics panels with no backgrounds, but like an entire movie. Oh, is that why everyone was standing behind rocks the whole time so you couldn't see their feet? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. Like, I, okay, going back to good things, the movie does action scenes very well. I thought the action scenes were very competently directed. The characters are using their powers in really cool mm-hmm. ways, even if one of the new characters was a guy whose dreadlocks were tentacles, which, I mean, okay, fine. I, I apparently, I, I'd, like to think, I'd like to think that that was just a fuck you to um, uh, the really bad hair on Inhumans. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, he's basically like, so what if you took Omega Red or Senyaka, but hair? 
There's actually a mutant in canon who has that power. Um, and I don't remember her name, but yeah. There's, you know, the, the fight scenes... Hey, there's a siren. It's going to end up in this recording because we're not editing it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the, the fight scenes in this, though, were also really protracted and were either pointless like the Central Park fight or the, the train fight, which really felt like a video game level. Also, what did you think about Nightcrawler's oh. sudden impromptu killing spree? I fucking hated it. I hated it so much. So if Me you haven't too. seen the movie, um, this will make you probably want to see it less. So Nightcrawler, especially the Nightcrawler as portrayed in X-Men Apocalypse as this uncertain, adorable teenage boy who I just want good things for. He's that way throughout most of this. And then like uh, somebody does something bad to one of his friends. I don't even remember what. No one does anything bad to one of his, his friends. One of the guards who's taking them to a fight fucking mutant concentration camp dies oh that was it uh the one that he sort of almost kind of bonded with and then nightcrawler grabs like this dagger that's sitting around for some reason and starts teleporting around and stabbing people and that would be like okay i get it if he were like screaming in anguish or whatever but he gets this like demonic sadistic just evil look on his face like he's really enjoying murdering these people and it's like no that is the most unkurt wagner thing i've ever seen that's like age of apocalypse kurt wagner which is the opposite of of the kurt that's in these movies and that i wanted to see like he was one of the highlights of x-men apocalypse and he goes from barely being in this movie to suddenly being just like scary and evil and what the hell there's a lot of what the hell in here Ah, oh, there is like okay so i think so, listeners, um, Jay and I were texting a little bit about this after I saw the movie, because I saw it on opening night, Jay saw an early screener, um, and one of the things that I'd said was it's like they had all the right pieces and then just assembled them into crap. And that's the thing, like, everything is here. There are good performances, there's competent direction and writing, even if I disagree with it, the special effects are well done, like, the costumes are kind of cool. Yeah, the special and then, effects are okay. I thought they were pretty good. Uh, I mean, they're I not, like, they you know, felt very late 90s early aughts well it's an x-men movie of course they feel that way but anyway the point is like everything was there to make a good x-men movie and then all of the decisions that were made in terms of writing in terms of mainly honestly just in terms of writing were just wrong and so it just ends up being this this dour slog that has that's not rewarding and not satisfying and I guess it was interesting, but not the kind of interesting I really want to spend much time with. Yeah, so I put out a call for questions, um, and we have a lot of them. I'm going to try to play through a few. <laughs> Let's go for it. All right, so some of these we already already adapted as we, as we went. Um, let's see. Uh, your opinion on Scott Summers saying fuck. Oh, so there's only one F-bomb in this movie. Cyclops gets it, and I fucking love that. I yes. realize that it's character atypical. I don't care if anyone in the X-Men universe deserves to say fuck, it's Cyclops. Well, and you know, and, and they're threatening Gene, and Scott will have none of that. And like that is the circumstance where he would where he would say that. So yeah, I'm totally into that. Uh it was like a lot of the time when you get your one allowed fuck in a PG 13 movie, it's like, ah, they said fuck, it's funny. But with this, I was like, hell yeah, Scott. Like I I was I was on board. The only way I think it could have been done better would have been if they had given it to Hank in that big rant, but he didn't need it, so. No, no, Hank is eloquent enough that uh, while he certainly could add profanity to that vocabulary and use it effectively, I feel like Cyclops needs it a little more than Hank does. Yeah, all right, so someone someone asks, um, this is uh, Lilbit4.0, who asks, Dear Jan, Miles, the Dark Phoenix Saga is a story that tends to get adapted a lot in X-Men, or even just general Marvel works, and movies, TV, etc. Um, are there any X-Men stories you think have been revisited a bit too often and should be left to rest? Alternate Alternatively, are there any X-Men stories you think potentially might work really well in a future adaptation? That's a good question. I want to see Riot at Xavier's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Honestly, I feel like a lot of Morrison's run could work really well. Um, yeah. For me, okay, so right at, right at Xavier's uh, makes me think for this question, actually, of I'm going to come back to this every fucking time I can. New X-Men Academy X. I feel like mm -hmm. all of these students joining the school right as the school is hugely expanding would be a cool way to do it. Like, it would be a slightly different genre. You know, you'd be, I mean, I always love the kids' uh, mutant stories, like, obviously, but 
that way it, it could be almost like a little Harry Potter in that your entry point to this world is characters who are also entering the world for the first time. I think that could be a lot of fun. I think there's a ton of stuff you could do with New Mutants. Um, I think that there are standalones you could do incredibly cool stuff with. I would love to see a miniseries, a TV miniseries of Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown. Live action or animated? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. That would be cool, though. The plot would be great for it. Yeah. I feel I think, like... I think Legion is amazing. I Legion is just a phenomenal ways to do weird-ass ex-adjacent stuff right example. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed The Gifted. Like, I know it had a lot of flaws, but I really liked that show. Mm. Um, I'm sad it got canceled. I think, I think, oh, I think, I think, speaking of that, you, there, are, there are a lot of pocket universes you could do cool stuff with. I think an age, age of, um, age of, not age of X. Um, actually, I think age of X could be cool. I am thinking of age of X, actually. Yeah, yeah not age of X-Man, but age of X. Yeah, I think, I think age of X could make a really, really, really neat series. Worst X-Man ever. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. But yeah, okay, okay. The, the first part of the question, though, uh, adaptations that have been overdone. Well, at this point, unfortunately, I'm going to go ahead and say the Dark Phoenix saga. The Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I feel like Days of Future Past was done right enough in this series of X-Men movies that I don't think you need to come back to that for a while. Like, by all means, keep all the time travel and shit in, but... That, you know, obviously it sucks that it, it was about three men instead of the two women it was supposed to be about. But overall, I feel like the plot structure was handled well, so it feel redundant to do that again anytime soon. I'm kind of done with Proteus. There have been a lot of variations of adaptations on that story and theme, and I don't think we really need to go back to that. Um, I feel like the Shadow King has been handled quite thoroughly. Like, we're good on Shadow King. Yeah, maybe let's not handle the Shadow King any more than we have to. Yeah, wash your hands afterward, definitely. Um, after this series of movies, I am so... Ugh. Okay, I mean, Xavier and Magneto's conflict and relationship, yes, that's a big X-Men thing, and I guess you can't fully get away from it, but God, I am tired of that right now, especially after Dark Phoenix. Oh, man. Um, okay, so there's another question that I, I want to go to, just because I feel like someone needs to tell this person. Um... With Mystique's death, do you feel the, the future of the X-Men movies will have a better chance of success in developing other characters? Well, there there aren't going to be any more. There will be new mutants. Um, yeah, but this is this is the last one. Uh, this is this is the end of of the cycle. So um, yeah, Disney did confirm that at this yeah, point. This is this is this is the last one. So unfortunately, no. But that said, I mean, I think the question does get at something that is important to talk about. Um, Mystique. I liked her in first class. I think she was absolutely overused in these movies. And of course, Jennifer Lawrence's star power, you know, you can't argue with that. Like, I think that was a big, a big draw to include her in the cast. But, um, yeah, like the other characters didn't get much of a chance to, uh, to shine. And so I like yeah, that they, cycling characters through. They gave those, all, a lot of good lines and a lot of emotionally resonant moments that should have gone to other characters originally came from other characters to Mystique. Jennifer Lawrence just sort of dropped them like hot potatoes and they had to do that to make her death seem significant, except it still didn't seem significant because the performance was so bad. So honestly, if she had left some, I, I feel like, I feel like the best way to handle Mystique would have been to have had her just be a member of the team or to have had her leave sometime between Apocalypse and now, which would have been entirely reasonable if like if she'd stayed around to get the team started and then gone off to do her own thing and check up with Destiny. Yeah, seriously, get a little skull for her forehead. It would have been great. Yeah, everyone needs a hobby. Yeah, well, and that's the um, thing, like, see. you, you Going, see, actually, before we continue, um, in first class, you see that team almost entirely cycle out before Days of Future Past. I think we could have seen more of that. I mean, maybe not quite so tragically, but I would have loved to have seen this decade-by-decade decade series of movies, you know, use that to give us more characters in a shifting lineup. Especially because we had this awesome cast to draw on from Gifted. So... Um, we've got, I'm, I'm going to sort of go directly from Mystique to please get spoilery about what happens between Scott and Jean. The answer is not much and a lot that's quiet in the in the background and works really well. What should be the best Scott and Jean moment, which is is the, the literally the Scott talking Dark Phoenix down speech, goes to Mystique. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work and she dies. And also it's not very well delivered. So that's a shame. But other than that, I think they're really good. I think the lack 
I think the lack of focus on them is something that I actually like in this movie. Like they're there, but they're very much treated as something that's just sort of a given quantity. You see a lot of good moments and a lot of flickering eye contact and a lot of brief physical contact and things like that in the background of scenes. There's not a lot of PDA. There's definitely none of the stay away from my girl bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how I want to see Scott and Jean in X-Men movies. Like I want them as something that, that that's that solid and present and to which there's clearly so much more than what we see on the screen. Agreed. Although I do think that, you know, as things heat up toward the end of the movie, we should have had more of a focus on on Scott's reactions and and, and especially on Scott's interactions with Gene because you mm-hmm. see Gene and Xavier confronting each other so much and it would have been really nice to see Scott in there as well. But you know, it's it's Xavier's movie. So. Yep. Xavier's, Xavier's, Xavier's. Let's see, we've covered a lot of these kind of automatically. Um, the ending change, women's rage. Uh, was this a Celine you approve of because she did almost nothing to make her seem like Celine? I didn't realize Celine was in this movie. So I didn't until I read, I don't even remember, some article. So the character in question is one of Magneto's two henchmen. There's the guy with his prehensile hair, and then there's this lady with a buzzed a haircut and tattoos and a knife who's a telepath i actually yeah i assume she was supposed to be callisto i was thinking is that callisto or i'm like or did they recast psylocke because psylocke and magneto mm-hmm. knew each other and maybe that was her but yes apparently that's celine you know the black queen the immortal energy vampire a completely unrecognizable as such and you know i'm not a big fan of celine the character but like there's fun stuff to be found there there's like fun campy stuff to be found there but this movie had like no camp at all which I think is maybe to its detriment. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what else do you I'm, have? I'm tired. I, I, I think what we have at this point is not a lot of time left because we're at almost an hour. And I, I know we, your, your folks are visiting and then we both had other stuff that we needed to do. Let me see. Um, now that Fox's X-Men movie cha- franchise is practically over, what character do you think was the most misused or wasted, and do you hope that said character will later show up in Disney's X-Men movies? I'm going to answer these out of order and say I have no specific hopes for Disney's X-Men movies aside from that they be good. Mm-hmm. I'm That's that's generally my answer regarding hopes for, for new X-Men franchises and stories and adaptations, and that's true here as well. Uh, character I think was most misused or wasted... God, for I mean, almost every cameo in Xavier's group in The Last Stand. I fucking loved Arclight, and I wish they'd done more. Yeah. Um. As far as wasted, I don't know because like the thing is, I lot I think a lot of those cameos worked well. Like I'll go back to the Multiple Man one. It was brief. Yeah. Oh, that, that was great. Yeah. That um, was great. I feel like they could have done a lot more with Colossus. I, I love Colossus as a character. Yeah. I think he's an important X-Men character. I don't think you have to have him, but I feel like just sort of briefly touching on him and just having his entire characterization in the movies be, this is the strong guy, was, um, you know, I wanted more. Darwin and Angel in general, Havoc outside of um, First Class. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Darwin and Angel went out like chumps in First Class, and that was that was unfortunate. Um... You know, I was about to say Rogue, but then I just remembered that, no, she was actually huge in the first movies and then didn't show up in the second timeline, so that makes sense. I actually really like the Rogue from the first few movies. Like, it was a different yeah, take same. on the character. She's, she's a very different take on the character, but she's she's an interesting one. Yeah. Let's see. Now that the Fox movies are over, where would you want the MCU to start? Silver Age, Giant Size, something else? Something else. I want to see good adaptations, and what I mean by good ab- adaptations are adaptations that are medium-native. Yeah, yeah, make it fit organically. Um, but I'm going to go back to what I always say with this, which is that I know it's not. I, I know they're not going to go with what I want, but I don't want the X Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I want them. I want there to be a yeah, new X Men yeah. Cinematic Universe done by Marvel. I think they could do a great job, but having mutants in the MCU, I don't think would be interesting. And while the continuity with Avengers and uh, Endgame has certainly opened up a great deal, and you could work the X Men in, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to see X Men who mutants who you know are are new to the world so much of what makes them work is that they've been around for a while building up and building up and they're already a known quantity when the x-men get onto the scene that the world already hates and fears them 
Well, if they do that, I think, I mean, I think it, it would be a different thing. It wouldn't be the X-Men as we're used to seeing them. There are some cool narrative entry points that they could use. I don't know. I mostly just hope that they do something interesting and that they do it well. I don't expect to see the X-Men as they've appeared in the comics or as they've appeared in other movies in the MCOBU because, yeah, as Miles said, they wouldn't fit and it wouldn't make sense and it would be frustrating. I just want things to be good. I just really, I just want stories to be good. I mean, some of the X-Men movies have been pretty damn good. Logan was great. Days of Future Past was really fun. Logan was great. I would question whether Logan counts as an X-Men movie. Days of Future Past was fun. I I want the version of Apocalypse that the mall scene would have fit into to exist. Mm -hmm. Totally agreed. Yeah. And I mean, I still... They're dated as hell, they're very flawed, but I think the first two are still pretty strong. Yeah, I'll get behind them. Well, especially looking at them as historical artifacts simultaneously to looking at them as movies. Like, that's where superhero movies as we know it basically started. Although well, I, Blade. But... Well, okay, yes, I love Blade. Blade's a wonderful comic adaptation and is sort of a superhero. But superhero movies as we know them. I feel like X-Men was more yeah. the origin of that than Blade. Yeah. But I do yeah. love Blade. There's a freaking blood rave. It's ridiculous. It's wonderful. <laughs> and some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill so there's that too that's watch. such a good line oh my god that's such a good line um, oh man now i wish i watched blade instead of dark phoenix <laughs> <laughs> oh oh so one more thing i want to talk about i want to talk about the uniforms mm-hmm. and i i want to talk about the fact that they're very specifically x-men in the front star trek next generation in the back yeah it's like the weirdest fandom mullet <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, the uniforms, I was sad to not see the colorful uniforms from the end of Apocalypse. I guess I get it. I will say, like, going with the Frank Quitely look, um, it was cool. You know, I think them being- That was not the Frank Quitely look, dude. That's the closest thing that those uniforms were, at least on the front, was, god, they were almost a a homogenized version of some of X-Men Evolution with the high-up X. Like, and they they come, which is itself sort of based on the early X-Factor uniforms. Oh, sure. I'm just saying, like, that- that color scheme and texture and the big prominent yellow X just made me think of Frank Quitely's version, even if the design's different. Yeah, they do definitely have 90s Star Trek sad pants suit going on, which is, I, I guess, Sarah appropriate. That's true. Do you think they had to, like, tug down their shirts all the time because they kept riding up the way that the next-gen actors did? No, because they're jumpsuits. I, I could have sworn they were two-piece. I would say I'll have to watch the movie again, but I, I don't know if I have to watch that movie again. 